proud, forgotten, Indian, Navajo, Blackfoot, Inuit, and Sioux, survivor, spiritualist, patriot, Sitting Bull, Hiawatha, and Jim Thorpe. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Common Narrative. I'm Crystal Haynes. You know, Common Narrative examines the media's effect on civic engagement, but more importantly, we dig deep and unpack the issues behind the headlines you see in the media. So come on in the room. Let's do some work here. That you were just listening to or saw was an ad created by the National Congress of American Indians calling for a change in the Washington Redskins logo. Last month, the town of Wakefield, Massachusetts, voted to keep their mascot after the school committee voted to get rid of it over concerns that the Warriors logo was offensive to Native Americans. Ferris Gray, Sagamore of the Massachusetts tribe, and researcher Laurel Davis Delano joins me in conversation right now on the harm and the hazards around the use of Native American imagery as mascots and the history and racism attached to it. Welcome. Thank you, Crystal. The conversation about the indigenous mascots within the Commonwealth has been um, tiring to say the least. Uh, we have to travel to different communities that have indigenous mascots and explain harm that these mascots cause to both our people. And also that it is a form of racism. And that's sometimes difficult to get across because these communities don't see an indigenous mascot as racism. They see it as honoring the indigenous people. But when the indigenous people speak up and they let these communities know that their mascot is not honoring us, then it should be that easy. They should, their response should be, oh, we didn't know that. We weren't aware. But that's a lot of times that's not the response. We have to go into detail and go back and forth with them. With towns like Wakefield, when the school committee voted to change the mascot, and then the town votes, and the majority of the people voting voted to keep the mascot, it's pretty clear to us that they're not listening to the indigenous people, that their mascot is a form of racism, and we don't feel honored. We feel disrespected by their mascot, and our ancestors aren't respected by their mascot. So 
we, we would really like these communities to listen to what we're saying and take it to heart that we're telling them that we're not honored and that it is a form of racism. Yeah, and to just add to that, the Joint Committee on Education actually heard testimony this month on a bill that would ban the use of Native American mascots in public schools across the Commonwealth. And the ban would apply to things like school athletic uniforms and images on school buildings. And that was one of the sort of the common, um, you know, themes of this is, has been really like the folks who are on the other side are saying, well, hey, listen, like, you know, we're just trying to honor Native Americans. And 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 also, I actually had a comment on one of the stories that I did on this saying that by getting rid of the mascots, it could it's a, an erasure of Native American culture. What do you think about that? We have already been erased from the culture. Basically, we don't need a mascot to keep us in the headlines or for uh, communities to think about us. They're portraying us as um, indigenous people that we were not. And the education level of the local indigenous people here within the Commonwealth is pretty much non-existent except for the romantic fantasy about Thanksgiving that is taught in schools. The real truth and the real history of the indigenous people here is not taught in the schools that have these indigenous mascots. So that's just, it's, it's another fairy tale. It's another thing for these schools to think that they're showing honor or for other people to think that indigenous people are gonna be erased from history because of a ban on the indigenous mascots. It's just, it's just not true. Laurel, I want you to, to also weigh in here. I mean, I know your research, we're going to talk about your research, and I know that that centers around a lot of this, but, you know, when you hear this mascot debate in communities, what comes to mind is someone who studies this, uh, this kind of stuff. Let me just say, I'm a um, white person, and I'm a professor of sociology at Springfield College, and I've been researching mascots for about 25 years. Um, and I work with other scholars from all different disciplines who do the same. And I can tell you about the research findings, but um, what comes related to your prior question is, uh, um, you know, the whole idea that non-native people are going to uh, represent native people. I mean, they're they're basically taking native identity and their version of what they think is a relevant culture and that's called cultural appropriation <laughs> in this case native appropriation and so you know it's not for non-native people to um you know they are the ones that have erased and they are the ones that have gen white people in particular generated the stereotypes and so it's ridiculous <laughs> to make the argument that there's erasure. Open, uh, open up the media and open up the school systems so Native people can create their own representations. And then you will not have erasure. And when we talk about you, the use of the mascots in schools, how can that be problematic? So are you asking me now to talk about the research findings? Sure, yeah. Okay, so um, recently uh, myself and uh, Joseph uh, Gahn from Harvard and Stephanie Freiberg from University of Michigan summarized the research findings on the effects of native mascots. 
And in this piece, we argue that schools should be making decisions based on research findings and not based on public um, opinion. And um, so I'll just, just summarize quickly the findings. So there's one set of findings that are the direct effects on native people. Um, and basically those findings show that the mascots create a hostile climate for native youth. Um, they lower the self-esteem of native youth. They reduce the degree that native youth can come up with future possibilities for success. Um, they um, lower beliefs among native youth that their native communities um, can make a difference. Um, and they also generate a whole bunch of negative feelings. I always have to look at my list, which are stress, distress, depression, dysphoria, and hostility. And in one study, they showed that native youth or native students avoid athletic events when there are native mascots. Um, there's also indirect effects, which are on non-native people um, that of course can then affect native people. Um, so some studies show that native mascots among people who support the mascots, okay, are associated with negative thoughts and stereotypes. So even though um, people are saying we're honoring native people, um, those same people um, on, in these implicit bias studies show that they're generating negative thoughts and stereotypes. And when you expose non-native people to the mascots, it increases their negative stereotyping. And a couple studies even show that there, it increases discrimination um, against native people when exposed to native mascots. And also lastly, those that support native mascots have higher levels of prejudice against Native Americans than, um, than those who uh, oppose them. Um, there's one study that shows that exposure to Native mascots increases bias against Asian Americans, which is really interesting. Um, so the Native mascots in both cases, this is showing that they're educationally harmful, right? Um, and um, educators and legislators should be uh, paying attention to these findings is our argument. Tell me about the data collection process. What did that look like? Well, this is 19 different studies. So um, <laughs> there were lots of very different data collection processes. Um, the most valuable studies are what, what's called experiments where people are exposed to native mascots or nothing or native mascots and white mascots or animal mascots and they then look at effects um and sometimes and they usually use a variety of um, versions of native mascots and some use the names and some use the images um and and then there are some non-experimental studies um that look at associations between different views on surveys. Ferris, I want you to, I guess, speak to how this feels in community, right? We, we have this data. How is that experienced in Native American indigenous communities? These, these mascots, you know, we, we feel like with the trophies, this, this is, they conquered us. That's true. 
And that's clear. We were conquered and assimilated into this European culture. For hundreds of years, you know, we were discriminated against. And at least I know with, with the Massachusetts, it wasn't good to be an Indian. It wasn't good to be an Indian um, in past generations because an Indian was discriminated against. And so we would go into other cultures just so we can be accepted. And now when you, you come to the point where we're having these schools and these towns have us as their mascot, it, it feels like to us, like we're the trophies of the conqueror. It wasn't okay to be an Indian for so many hundred years, but now everybody wants to be an Indian. Everybody wants to be indigenous. They, we, they, these schools, they dress up like us. Not really, but they act like they're dressing up like us and they say they're honoring us, but they're really mocking our culture. They hoot and holler. You know, they do say things like, you know, we're gonna scalp the, the opponent and things like that. And all these things, it, ju it just really feels like they're being made fun of. I know my children had to play for little leagues that had the Indian mascot for the Cleveland in Indians. And, and they really felt like it was a cartoon character they were playing for. And, and it was, it really affected my children. So I would, I had to ask them or really demand that my children be taken off of that team and placed on a team that didn't have that kind of disrespectful mascot. And no one understood. They just didn't understand. No other race has to deal with this. It's just the indigenous people here in this country that has to deal with this kind of racism. And, and so for my community, it really feels like our culture is being mocked. And when you go to a sporting event and either the team that you're there to support or the, the team they're playing has an indigenous mascot and then they start hooting and hollering and saying really disrespectful things, you kind of want to hide and, and crawl into the bleachers and get away from that because it's really hurtful that our culture is being mocked. And for other people, that aren't not indigenous to not understand it. That's like, you know, a double whammy of being hurt. And so, you know, our culture is it's not a joke. It is something that we honor and we treat with respect. And when we have the dominant culture making fun of us, it needs to be addressed. And we just ask these communities to listen to the indigenous people so they can have a better understanding of where we're coming from. One of the things that that was also mentioned in the Wakefield case by one of the uh, the town leaders there is that there's a Native American family in the town and they were okay with it. And so the community didn't understand where the opposition came from. What do you what do you say to that? Everyone has their own opinion, indigenous people, not indigenous people. That's part of having a free will. You have your own opinion. And I just know in older generations where it wasn't good to be an Indian, any kind of recognition is good recognition. And so it's it's more of a generational thing. So you might have older people and, and they kind of think that these mascots are a sign of respect because they grew up in a time where there was zero respect for the indigenous culture. We're not in that time anymore. You know, our, the indigenous youth are awesome. They have stood up and they have voiced their opinion and they're strong and they have so much honor and respect for their culture and their ancestors and they're saying it's not acceptable. But here in the Commonwealth, where you have all of the tribes that are historic tribes of the Commonwealth saying 
that it's not okay, then these communities should really listen because it's not one family. It's all the tribes here in the Commonwealth that are saying it's not okay and it's racism and it needs to be addressed. Laurel, I'm interested if, to see if there was any sort of uh, uh, dis dissension or, or tension or conflict like we're hearing in the um, within the data. I'm curious um, if uh, you know you there there were were some older populations or folks who who identified with being okay with some of this imagery. Um, so our review of the 19 studies are the studies that are on effects. And so that's not the same as the study on opinions. It's not the same as the study on the process. It's not the same as the studies on the history. There's probably you know hundreds of research publications. Um, uh, but I can say um, that a recent study came out um, by Freiburg and Eason and uh, collaborators. And it's not surprising. There, there's really no group that all that has total agreement on anything. Women don't agree about gender issues. You know, Asian Americans don't agree about Asian American issues. Um, and so, um, you know, you're gonna find difference. Um, and what is most important here is to realize that A, the polls that the media have been doing are not scientifically sound. And this study by Freiburg and Easton shows why. And part of this is about understanding native identity, right? And a lot of the media people that are doing the research don't understand, like every, you know, how some people will say, I'm native to a town, I'm native to Boston. Like, um, and so there's all this um, craziness there. Um, but the other thing that Ferris, Ferris is pointing out that I think is absolutely critical is um, you know, Native Americans have representative bodies and those are tribal nations and those nations have sovereignty and they are the ones that should be listened to rather than individuals. And, in, and as Ferris pointed out, there are six tribal nations that support elimination of Native mascots in Massachusetts and across the country there's many more and there's also the National Congress of American Indians which is the largest and most representative body um, at, that exists <laughs> um, of Native Americans and they represent some over you know something like 250 tribal nations and they have been working for over 50 years on this issue and then you've got native organizations like the Native American Journalists Association um, and the um, National Indian Education Association. And then you've got so that, you know, you, we need to listen to representative bodies because in any group, there's going to be some difference in opinion. And Ferris was pointing out, you know, one of the main different reasons for the differences in opinion, but there's lots of reasons, right? What role do you what role do you think the media has played in, you know, controlling this narrative or how, or perpetuating what could be a false narrative or even perhaps a being part of the 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 harm that's being created? Well, I have a study under review at a journal about this very thing. Um, and it, it covers education system and the media. And basically, um, Native people are pretty invisible 
um, in as contemporary people, okay, in the education curriculum and in the media. And a lot of people are all excited because there's this new network, <laughs> um, what do you call, um, sitcom that, that's got it's contemporary Native people written by contemporary Native people. Um, but, it, but that's like, why get excited about that? That should have been there, you know, already. Um, and, but it's in news, it's in fiction, um, it's in every genre, and it's also miss, missing in the education curriculum. And when Native people are portrayed in the media, they are almost always stereotyped. And, you know, there are these kind of four main stereotypes that they're slotted into. And in the education curriculum, 87% um, of the coverage is prior to 1900. There was a ton of important things that happened in Native history after 1900. And so this is leading people to think kind of that um, contemporary Native people that know no, very little to nothing about contemporary Native people, not understand tribal nation sovereignty, not understand the issue, you know, great things and problems. Um, and to think of Native people as like the past and the mascots actually are representations, they're stereotypes of um, one of the stereotypes of native people from the past. They're all male, they're almost all warriors or chiefs that led warriors, right? They're all from, and they're also homogenous, meaning that they erase the over 500 separate and different native cultures and have this kind of Hollywood version of things. I'm sure Ferris could add to what I just said. Yeah, please jump in. Yeah, um, thank you, Laura. Yeah, you know, it's like 400 years we, we've been dealing with this kind of colonial mentality of not understanding us. The early colonists didn't understand us, they didn't wish to. And then now there's a number of people that don't wish to understand us. These mascots, you know, they portray us as a warrior class society, like we were the Klingons or something like that. Um, like that's what we did. If we were a warrior class society here, the colonization never would have happened. We were not. The Massachusetts tribe were primarily farmers and fishermen. That's what we did. We grew food primarily. We weren't primarily trappers. We weren't primarily a warrior class society. We protected our resources and we fought when we had to. You see no mascots of farmers. That's just, that's just not even exciting. And you know, who wants to be the farmers? But that's more accurate. And so it portrays us as something we were not. And when we go to these communities, you know, they say it was showing us honor or they're showing one of our sockums or our chief honor. And that's not showing us honor to classify us as warriors. You know, we're human beings. We were truly the patriots. We fought to protect our way of life, protect our women, to protect our children, to protect our planting fields. We were the patriots. The colonizers forget they were the invaders. And so it's, it's really troubling that we have to explain this 400 years 
after the fact. It's it's been going on for a long time. This is it's it's about time that we are listened to. It's about time that the ruling powers understand and the people understand. It's really important the people understand what happened here so they can better understand the indigenous mindset and why we think and why we know that all of this is harmful. We can't continue on this course um, of this kind of racism. We have to destroy all racism here, everywhere, no matter where you're from, no matter what culture you're from, it's just not acceptable anymore. It, none of it's acceptable. It's not a, an acceptable behavior anymore. And we need to do something about it. And hopefully um, this show helps people better understand what we're saying. Why do you think there's such a resistance to changing mascots, to incorporating this into history curriculum? Is it that people honest like people come from a place where they are like this is tradition and so we have to continue it and they feel personal about it is it just straight up racism what, why do you think that there there is this this conflict between what people believe is their town's tradition and the harm that indigenous people are saying that having mascots and statues and and the omission in history curriculum creates All of the above, Crystal. Some's racism. Some's people just don't want to change. Everyone knows sometimes change is difficult, and we understand. Uh, we all went to high school. We understand the kind of honor and pride you have for your school and your mascot. No matter, it could be a turtle. It doesn't even matter what it was. But you have this honor for it. And when you ask a community to change their mascot, they feel like you're taking something away from them. And so it's kind of like they understand, some understand that it's not acceptable. They don't want to change it because it's part of their past. And they feel like that's a race in the past. It's not a race in the past. And so we're just asking them to have a better understanding. I think the, the key problem is that Ever since all of us were young, we were fed this propaganda of the beginnings of this country and the foundations of this country. And so we all grew up with this propaganda. And today we have to re-educate ourselves because our educational system doesn't educate our children or didn't educate us about the foundation of this country and the true things that happened here. And, and that should, never should be omitted. We think it's omitted because it's uncomfortable, it's unpleasant. It was horrifying what happened here. There was a genocide that happened here. And people don't wanna hear it because it makes them uncomfortable. Probably some guilt associated with it as well. But you know, we're 400 years past that. We have to talk about it. The indigenous people of this country need to heal from this trauma. And we can't heal if it's not talked about. We have to talk about it. Everyone has to sit at the table and talk about what happened here and the genocide and the murder and the erasure and being stripped of our culture, of our spirituality. All of that is devastating, that totally devastating to any people. And when the colonizer and their descendants don't wanna talk about it, their healing can't take place. Healing needs to take place on both sides. Both our communities need to heal. It has an impact on both of our spirits. It needs to be healed. And uh, there's something you know that I say. Normally, it's around Thanksgiving time because everyone is thinking about 
things they have to be thankful for and sitting at the Thanksgiving table and um, family, which is important to have family. I remind people that the foundation for this country was built on the graves of my ancestors. And it's important they remember that because it's truth and it's something that really happened and we're still here and they need to hear that. Because why we all have things to be thankful for. We also have things that we need to remember. And for us, we need to remember our ancestors, what they went through and the sacrifices they made and the contributions they made to the formation, to the foundation of this country. And this country just doesn't seem to wanna to talk about it or honor us. So just to add, um, uh, I wanna piggyback on what Ferris is saying, but I wanna go back to something first. So the reason why, so mascots are selected, most of them that are selected are um, violent and aggressive. And so uh, when you look at um, like most mascots are animal mascots and they're not picking rabbits and deers because those don't have the perception of violence and aggression, right? Instead, they're picking like tigers uh, and that, that have that reputation. And the stereotype of native people as fitting that, that was a justification for colonization, genocide, killing native people and shoving native people onto reservations and not letting them leave. I mean, so, so you have the dominant culture's um, memory of native people and the image that they're creating of native people the very thing that used was used uh, to justify colonization and genocide but anyway i want to go back to um white people which, which i'm interested in um so white people do feel bad um when <laughs> um you know accurate versions of native related u.s history emerges um and the imagery of native people that is all this stereotype stuff um and not just the warrior stereotype is associated with u.s especially white u.s nationalism and there's some research that's going to come out that that demonstrates that um, but I want to mention some studies um, that found that when white children or students are exposed to native mascots, their self-esteem goes up rather than staying neutral or down, right? Um, and also white people, um, there's some recent research that isn't published yet where <clears throat> when white people are like see somebody with a native mascot on another white person they feel more warm to them and they like them more and so this is some deep stuff right that's connected to nationalism and myths about u.s history that make white people feel good and when you bring up the reality and you erase those myths that can make white people feel not so bad. So there's some research that shows that when white people are exposed to the day of mourning, which is a, a challenge, you know, speech, um, that makes, they don't like it compared to, you know, the normal, the standard versions. 
Um, but I just wanted to also say, like, so why don't people understand, you asked that question a while back, or I should say, why do non-Native people, especially white people, not understand? Um, first of all, they have had the lack of exposure to Native people. A lot of non-Native people don't have contact, especially in-depth, long-term, equal contact with Native people. And then if you add that to the lack of exposure in media and the school system and all, almost all the exposure being people of the past and stereotypes, right? And then you add that on. And the one more thing that I think has a big effect here is there's this thing that are called positive stereotypes and they're really kind of ostensibly positive stereotypes. So yeah, break Native that American. down, Laurel, that term positive stereotype. Well, that's the phrase that's used, but oftentimes researchers put like uh, um, something in there in front of it, like ostensibly positive or so-called positive. Um, and things like not just Native Americans are brave, strong warriors, um, but and super spiritual and in touch with nature. And then women are nurturing and blacks are good athletes and Asians are all smart. And so on the surface, these seem to be compliments. And so a lot of people don't understand that as racism and sexism, classism or whatever it is, right? Um, and rather they, they think that it's being kind of anti-racist or anti-sexist or something. Um, but the research findings, it, you know, in a in a different area sh can show, um, like the scholarship I was talking about before, that the, that these uh, ostensibly positive stereotypes are harmful, and it's not surprising that they're harmful because a lot of them are rooted in past oppression, like the example that I just gave before, or you know, related to um, black people. Um, the the past belief and still in a lot of people's heads that um, black people aren't smart. They're just physically capable, right? That was justified slavery, right? It was one of the many justifications of slavery. And then you've got how they work in the contemporary period, right? So for example, the notion that women are nurturing by nature results in women not only having a 40 hour a week job, but having a double shift, right? And and so, um, but most people, when they think and hear of these positive ideas, um, they don't think of them as problematic. They think we're honoring women or we're honoring whoever, or we're celebrating them. Um, and that's a problem that people have those views of these surface things that appear positive. And this is Common Narrative on Spark FM. Uh, we're having a conversation about the harm and hazards around the use of Native American imagery, especially mascots. Here with me is the Sagamore of the Massachusetts tribe, Ferris Gray, and researcher Laurel Davis Delano. Um, I, I want to ask, you know, there has been a conversation around uh, making sure that we have, we, uh, the land use uh, statements and, and the land acknowledgement statements. I know in Arlington, the community where I live, this is something that was just passed in town meetings. So 
we do public meetings, we will write, uh, excuse me, public meetings, we will actually be reading uh, a land acknowledgement, which actually Ferris helped, helped us write. Um, so why is that important? And what do you anticipate or have been dealing with in terms of the conflict or the, the, the um, apprehension, the aversion to saying a land acknowledgement before a public town or city meeting? I think a land acknowledgement is a good beginning because before land acknowledgements, which are really not new, but people are starting to understand how that can begin to show the indigenous people honor, it's the beginning. And so when we have cities or towns or schools or whoever chooses to do a land acknowledgement, they're acknowledging the people that were here before them, which is awesome, you know, but it's only and what we have more times than not is a land acknowledgement and that's it. And so, you know, I call that a hollow land acknowledgement because just speaking some words while it's the beginning, if that's where it begins and ends, then it's hollow. It doesn't really mean anything to the indigenous people. We desire a relationship with all of these towns and communities. And so when you do a land acknowledgement, it's not just acknowledging the land by words, it's acknowledging it by actions. Uh, we all know that you know words are fine, but the actions need to follow the words that you speak. And so, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, the Museum of Fine Arts did a land acknowledgement. Um, recently, they did a land acknowledgement, but that's where it stopped. And then they planted a garden, which is in, a, in the Massachusetts traditional planting fields. They're in our traditional territory. So they're planting a indigenous three sisters gardens, but they didn't include the Massachusetts. They included another tribe. And so that's problematic because while they did a land acknowledgement, it was hollow because they, they had no action behind their words. And for us, it's a sign of disrespect to come to be in our territory and to have another tribe plant a garden in our planting fields. And so, you know, we really don't want a hollow land acknowledgement. We want to build a relationship. But everyone that does a land acknowledgement should understand that there has to be action that follows it. And the action has to follow their land acknowledgement. And so while it's the beginning, sometimes it's problematic because just have people in our towns or whoever organizations, groups that don't understand that that's just the beginning. And then we need action to follow their land acknowledgement. So I, I'd like to add, uh, I think everything Ferris says is great. Um, so I think like most land acknowledgements, they seem to, I haven't studied all of them, but they seem to just name the people that were there in the past that essentially aren't there now or mostly aren't there now. And I think that land acknowledgements should also have three other things. Um, one is naming how the land was lost and being honest about it. And that includes um, some um, murder and killing, but it also includes impoverishing people and making shady deals with people and having your animals wipe out <laughs> native livelihoods. Um, second, 
like so land acknowledgements focus on people of the past but the second thing i think that should be in a land acknowledgement is naming the native nations that are nearby encircling whatever that land is or you know connected to that land and the third thing is totally related to what ferris is saying is that i think land acknowledgement should end with a commitment to change and the one that i uh, worked on um, with another person for the city of springfield massachusetts you know ends with a commitment to sovereignty and a, and commitment to supporting native interests now when you write land acknowledgements that way right not everybody can say them because you have to be willing to step up and do those things and a lot of people aren't so they just want to talk about the past and then they don't want to feel bad learning about the history they don't want to know about contemporary native people like ferris is meaning and they don't want to take action and i totally agree those are empty land acknowledgements governor charlie baker has said that he's open to the conversation of changing the state seal and and um and adding land acknowledgements in in state meetings and things like that i mean does that go far enough well if he does decide to change the state seal and do a land acknowledgement i think that would be a great first step seeing how the commonwealth is named massachusetts and it's named after my tribe it, it i mean people need to know this having telling people that i'm from the massachusetts tribe is problematic because they keep asking no what tribe are you from and i keep saying massachusetts and they keep saying what tribe and it goes back and forth back they just don't understand the commonwealth took my tribe's name and there's never been any acknowledgement um contemporarily that we are the massachusetts tribe we took their, the name from the massachusetts tribe the state seal um there are some things that need to be addressed on it I mean, at least from, from my tribe's point of view, um, th there is a commission set up with um, tribal nations here in the Commonwealth that are on that commission, and, and they're going to decide um, with the governor's office what the seal should be changed to, um, redesigned is, I think, how they worded it. And there's an important things to know about the state seal and the indigenous person on it. The first thing is the sword that's above the indigenous person's head. Now, this is said to represent Miles Standish's sword. And Miles Standish, Standish is an honored uh, military leader of the Pilgrims. He has a state park. But to the Massachusetts tribe, he was a terrorist. He cut off some of our men's heads and brought them back to Plymouth. And they hung on stakes outside of Plymouth for many years as a deterrent to the Massachusetts not to resist the Plymouth colony's will, the Pilgrim's will. Now that's a form of terrorism. You know, you cutting off people's heads, placing them on stakes, and we have a sword above our head. I mean, what is that? That's, that's colonialism at its best. You know, that's just the oppression of the indigenous people here. And so we really need the seal to be changed. We can't have those kind of things that are in everyday life. You can't go anywhere without seeing the state seal. It's on vehicles, it's on flags. I mean, it's everywhere. And that's just saying, hey, you know what? The Commonwealth agrees in terrorism. Yes, it's terrorism. If And if 
You know, our representatives don't know the history. There's no excuse for that. They're adults, they're educated, and they represent people. They should know the history of the Commonwealth and things that happened here. And if they don't and they wish to speak with us, all they have to do is reach out. Um, and so the seal is really problematic. And I just know that many non-Indigenous people never really looked at it. They, they truly never looked at it and, and they don't understand. But when you explain it to them, they oh, they see the sword. Oh, I never noticed the sword. And they see the sword and what it means to us and what it meant um, to the Commonwealth. You know, I think it said at one point by the, by the sword, we seek peace. That's what is that? How do you, how do you have peace through the sword by cutting off the indigenous people's heads and saying if you resist, there won't be any peace. Laurel, how do you see that through your lens as a researcher and and you know so the 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 data that you've been collecting? Well, there are no studies on the Massachusetts state flag that are um, kind of social sciencey. Um, there's some history things, um, you know, I just think kind of as, as Ferris put it earlier, there are kind of these trophies of colonization all over the place. Uh, and they celebrate co colonization, right? Um, and, but a lot of people don't know that, although they kind of feel good about like white people, especially, uh, you know, feel good about a lot of those things. And one example is in uh, in the area that I live, which is in the Connecticut Valley, where the Connecticut River comes through. Um, people call this the Pioneer Valley. And so we've been trying to work on getting rid of that name because who are they referring to? They're referring to the white colonists and it's labeling it their valley and it's erasing like if you call it a pioneer it makes it sound like they're the first person people there but they're not the first people here right there were all kinds of native um, um tribes all around here um and it really is a celebration of colonialism and it's really a horrible phrase and so once you kind of become aware of um, how this works, which Native people, many Native people already have awareness about, um, you can kind of see it all over the place. Um, it's part of a dominant culture. There's expressions like, uh, you know, Indian giver, which is the reverse of reality, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and that sort of thing. But there's not a whole lot of scholarship on this particular topic. There is some scholarship um, done by somebody from the University of Oregon um, on consumer symbols like baking soda, Land O'Lakes butter. Um, recently, the Cherokee Nation took a position um, and said, please don't name your vehicle after us. Um, <laughs> so there's that kind of thing. We always like to make give folks tools, advocacy tools, tools uh, that are called to actions. Um, what, how, one, I want you to give the media some homework, some work to do. What does the media need to do to represent Native Americans better, to tell better stories, to tell more representative stories? Well, I think the media, 
like you're doing, needs to reach out to uh, the tribal nations and the tribes and talk to them. And not just, um, you know, when, when there's a problem arise or there's a bill that needs to be, um, needs to be talked about. It's important that the media takes our voice and, and shows it to people. Because uh, the media, what well, they have this tremendous platform, and and we all know that the the media, you know, they portray what they wish to portray, uh, things that are happening, and so they just need to reach out to the indigenous community and have in our own voices explain um, what some of our hopes are, um, how similar our cultures are, how we differed. Um, maybe a, a round table, perhaps, something like that. But the, the media definitely needs to, to reach out to the indigenous tribes and, and talk to them, not only when there's an issue on the table, um, not only if there's a problem arises, just set up, a, establish a relationship with, with the indigenous people. You know, we all desire a better relationship, all of us. I mean, our ancestors always wanted a, a better relationship and an equal relationship where it's equal footing. And the media, they have a responsibility to everybody, not just the indigenous people. And if the school, if our educational system isn't going to educate people about the indigenous people, the media can do so. Um, it's, it's just what the media chooses. Maybe it's not you know, good news or maybe their ratings aren't, won't be what they should be. I, I don't know. But if they wish to, they can reach out to our communities and talk to us, um, come to some of our events, headline us when there's not a problem. You know, that would be awesome too. talk about some of our ancestors, especially here in the Commonwealth. Um, and then talk about us contemporarily so that people can understand that we're not people of the past. We're people that have been here for thousands of years and we're still here. Laurel. Um, so I was going to say that there's an organization called the Native American Journalists Association, and they have tips for journalists, um, and they have workshops, um, and they have a lot of Native journalist members. Um, there's also um, organizations that support um, Native issues in television and film. Um, there's Native um, musicians. Um, there's an organization called Illuminative. Um, Aluma with that I and then a big N um, that um, works on all these media representation issues. Um, and so I think the media also needs to hire native people. There are native people that do all of these things. Um, and then the non-native people need to educate themselves and um, about the issues so that when they go cover things, and I totally agree with fairies, not just when there's some issue related to a white non-native community, but like in general, what's going on among the Massachusetts or the Herring Pond Wampanoag. Um, and then even, you know how a lot of people who go into journalism or any media, they may go to learn about film in college or learn about um, journalism or music. Well, why isn't that in the curriculum? And so there's, I think there's so many strategies that can be used. And it's always interesting to me, 
you know, when we have these conversations and parallels, when we're talking about folks in the African American community or the Asian American community or the, the Latinx community, you know, it, it feels like all of the marching orders are the same. And so we certainly need to be cognizant of that and do the work and do the work and make sure that we elevate all of these voices because we we do make up this country and our, our stories deserve to be told. I want to thank you both for joining me here. Um, on common narrative on this very special episode as we talk about Native American imagery and mascots. Uh, Ferris Gray is the Sagamore of the Massachusetts tribe and Laurel Davis Delano is a researcher at Boston, uh, excuse me, I was going to say Boston College at Springfield College and I should know better because I'm from Springfield so and know Springfield College very well. So thank you both so much for joining us in conversation. I want to invite everyone who is listening and watching this video that you can go to all of our social media platforms for Common Narrative and commonnarrative.media to get all of the resources, the tools, links to the show, and make sure that you can engage in this conversation and then act upon it to make your communities better. My name is Crystal Haynes. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. And remember, knowledge is power, and power is change. <laughs>